Matthew 7, uh, reading from verses 1 to 12. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks you for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for, for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all here. Nice to have some visitors. Uh, You're very welcome. Uh, My name's Sam, if you don't know me, one of the pastors. Uh, We're going to look through this passage for the next uh, 25 minutes. So uh, do have the Bible open in front of you, if you can see one. And uh, we'll uh, go through it together. Let me pray as we begin and ask for God's help as we look at this. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to us by your spirit to our hearts so that we may know and love you, that we may know the truth of the Lord Jesus. So we pray that you would uh, speak to us now, help us, help us concentrate and to think, apply your word to our hearts. If we don't know you, please give us faith. If we do know you, Please give us a heart to live and love you more. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, this is the last chapter in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We'll finish it next week. We're only doing half the chapter this week. Uh, And it's a little bit like a rapid-fire question round. there are little sections between in this whole chapter all uh, working through. They all kind of relate to the big picture of the whole sermon, but they're not particularly related to each other. Uh, so we've got four fairly separate points today. Uh, uh, so let's just go through them. The first one I've called, Do Not Be a Hypocritical Judge. Uh, so have a look at chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, my favorite, uh, I was wondering, I thought you were just laughing at me. I forgot about the picture. Um, My uh, favorite verse to preach on, because it means afterwards nobody can complain. Uh, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Uh, This is probably one of the most commonly quoted Bible verses, completely by accident, by almost everyone in the world at some point. Uh, Whether you're a Christian or not, not a Christian, it's quite a common thing to say, do not judge, or you can't judge me because you're a Christian, or I shouldn't judge them. We say it all the time. But actually, Jesus doesn't simply drop us with this sentence and leave us to work it out. Otherwise, that would mean this is a great sermon. No one can complain afterwards. What he means, he explains as he goes through uh, the next couple of verses. So have a look at verse 2. 
For in the same way as you judge others, you, t- you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So he says don't judge, but he also explains that our attitude towards other people in terms of judgment will somehow reflect how God's, uh, somehow reflect God's judgment upon us. Then he goes on, have a look at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It is actually quite a funny image, isn't it? I mean, you're right to laugh. Jesus is being funny. Someone with a huge plank in their eye trying to remove a speck out of someone's, uh, someone else's eye. It is comical. I wonder if even perhaps the plank Jesus is uh, referring to might often be our judgmental attitude towards others in the first place. There is a big plank in our eye. How can we deal with the speck in someone else's? Uh, it's true, isn't it? We all have problems Uh, to deal with before God. None of us are perfect. We've all got something in our eye. And Jesus is really saying we need to recognize that, that fact, before we start judging or dealing with other people. But while first we do need to remove our own plank, he's also clear we are still to help our brothers and sisters to remove the specks of dust, or even the planks, in our own eyes. So in other words, Jesus is not saying just turn a blind eye to sin or ju- just ignore the problems that people, other people have in their lives, which I think is what we often think when we say, oh, you can't judge me or we shouldn't judge them. He is saying we deal with each other with an attitude that accepts we've got plenty of stuff in our own eyes that need to be taken out already. In fact, all of us, if we've given our life to Jesus, have had the massive plank removed from our eyes by Jesus. We all need his grace and his forgiveness. And once we are in that heart attitude, that mindset, then we're a bit fitter to take the speck or the plank out of other people's to help them. Uh, Elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, we're encouraged to hold each other to account Uh, We're to discern critically how we behave uh, and how we love and how we live for Jesus. We are to discipline those publicly who sin publicly within a church context if they're unrepentant. So this isn't a carte blanche ban on any kind of judgment or uh, involvement in other people's lives. Jesus is talking about having a position of humility and love just as we recognize that we are totally unworthy before God. Uh, So Jesus is really warning against a harsh judgment of others or fault-finding or a negative and destructive kind of criticism or actively seeking out other people's faults or assuming the worst motives of each other. Oh, he he did that because he must have just thought that. Or being very ungenerous uh, when we find people's mistakes. Do not judge, says Jesus. And his logic is simple, I think. Uh, If you judge others like that, 
then clearly we haven't understood the enormous grace and love and mercy God has shown us. So if we continue to unrepentantly be judgmental of other people, then perhaps we've never received the grace that Jesus has offered us. And therefore we'd be judged by our own measure, says Jesus. If you really can't see that you have been given untold grace and mercy, then perhaps you haven't understood Jesus in the first place if you're judgmental towards others. No, instead, says Jesus, we dwell on the mercy shown us, the plank that's been removed from our eyes, free of charge, the forgiveness of our sins through the death and the resurrection of Jesus in our place. And then that allows us to be gracious and loving, uh, but rightly deal with and help one another in their own sin. With our specks of dust and our planks in each other's eyes. That's not judging. That's loving. Completely different, says Jesus. Do not judge, but we do still lovingly care for one another. Uh, So that's uh, our first point. The second one, Jesus now goes on to verse 6. I've called this show discernment in spreading the gospel. Have a look uh, at verse 6 with me. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Uh, This is a fairly standalone instruction, uh, but perhaps Jesus adds it on here because it does offer somewhat of a balance to what he's just said. So we are to be humble and generous in our critical support and love of one another, not judgmental. But there isn't a sense where Jesus says there will never be a point where you must ever bring a judgment about on other people. Uh, For there is something, says Jesus, that is worth judging uh, when enough is enough. Uh, The question here in this verse is, well, who are the pigs and the dogs and what is sacred or what what are the pearls? I think the pearl is uh, or what is sacred seems to fit most simply with what Jesus will teach on a little bit later in Matthew's gospel uh, and he, we often call it the pearl of great price uh, so I think this verse is on the screen Matthew 13 verse 45 uh, Jesus says this again the kingdom of heaven which he's taught about a lot so far is like a merchant looking for fine pearls when he found one of great value he went away and sold everything he had and bought it So Jesus has spoken much about the kingdom of heaven, and so the pearl, or what is sacred, has to be, if you like, the keys to the kingdom. This is the way in. It's what we might call the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he died for our sins, so that when we repent and believe in him as Christ our Lord, we receive forgiveness and grace. We receive uh, eternity in the kingdom of heaven. So the pearls, or the sacred, is the gospel. Who are the dogs or the pigs? Uh, well, you may know Jews uh, considered dogs and pigs to be unclean. Uh, they, wouldn't, they weren't permitted to eat pigs, or dogs for that matter. Uh, and they would never think of offering their sacred food, the pearls, to an unclean animal. So assuming Jesus isn't literally talking about pigs and dogs, he must be speaking about those who are unclean. In other words, he's speaking about those outside God's family. But again, Jesus can't possibly mean that we don't share the gospel, the pearls, with non-Jews. 
I mean, we, most of us here would be in trouble if that was the case, wouldn't it? And in fact, that is why Jesus came to earth to bring the gospel, the pearls, to all nations. We see that right through the Old and the New Testament. Uh, but perhaps a couple of other New Testament ref- references will help us think about what's in mind here from that context and culture. So Philippians 3 verse 2, it's on the screen again. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Or Revelation 22:15, uh, giving us a vision of uh, who is in and who is out of the kingdom of heaven at the end of time when Jesus returns. Outside are the dogs. Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. In other words, dogs and pigs is an illustration for people who have heavily and persistently set themselves against the gospel of Jesus. The pearls come, they trample them underfoot. The person who brought the pearls may be at risk of them being thrown back in their face. People who have had plenty of opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel and yet actively and often aggressively reject it. Uh, Jesus demonstrates this point uh, when he sends the 12 disciples out in chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel. Again, I think it's on the screen. Uh, If the home, so he sends out the 12 and he gives them these instructions. If the home is deserving where you stay, let your peace rest on it. If, it's, if it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, the gospel, leave that home or town, shake the dust of your feet. It's like a warning to them. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah, examples from the Old Testament of uh, sinful and evil towns, on the day of judgment than for that town. Uh, or the Apostle Paul demonstrates the same kind of idea uh, in Acts 18, 5 to 6. Uh, we, we read this, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. He, he took out the gospel. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, you, uh, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. I've done my job. I've given you the gospel. For now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. In other words, I think Jesus is saying here, and demonstrated by those other passages, that it is okay sometimes to move on with the gospel uh, when it is totally unfruitful or met with severe opposition and persecution. We may actually, says Jesus, be causing the very gospel that we have to be trampled underfoot, for God to be blasphemed more and more and more by these, uh, these type of people. Those who are violently opposed and persistently blaspheming God in response to what they hear. It's quite strong, isn't it? Uh, It's worth saying that I think this has to be, in the context of everything else Jesus says, has to be the extreme or or the last resort in mind when we we take out the gospel. For I wonder if many of us also once stood vehemently opposed to the gospel. Many of us will actually testify to uh, the love and the grace of uh, another Christian who patiently and persistently told us the good news of Jesus until one day we we repented and we were converted. So I wonder if what's perhaps more in mind uh, for Jesus as he says this 
is the immediate future that the disciples will face. They are about to become the first persecuted Christians in all of history. And I wonder in that context whether this is a wonderfully reassuring verse. Carl was praying earlier for the persecuted Christians around our world who are beaten or tortured if they share the gospel with their oppressors. Perhaps Jesus is saying their judgment will come. You don't need to keep on giving them what is being trampled underfoot. It's okay to move on. It's okay to stay silent in extreme cases and to honor God that way. Perhaps it means in church planting or missionary settings. It's okay to close a church plant that that is in an area that's just outright rejecting Jesus. Or it's okay to move on to a different village because the first one just will not accept you or the message. It's a last resort, yes. But it's okay to know that our message is wonderfully holy and precious and sacred. They are pearls to be honoured and respected. And on occasion, it's okay to move on. Perhaps if you're a rejecter of Jesus today, perhaps this is a warning. It's no light matter to dismiss the gospel, to dismiss his offer of salvation. And if that's you and you're concerned that perhaps you're trampling those pearls, or you don't know what to do about it, do have a chat to me or a Christian you know here today about it afterwards. So uh, that's uh, the second point, uh, show discernment in spreading the gospel. Uh, Thirdly then, pray, verse 7 to 11. Uh, We've just had a a particularly high call to not judge others and to know when to move on when the gospel is being blasphemed and rejected. Perhaps it's not surprising that the next thing Jesus wants to talk about is prayer, pray. We're going to need some help. Uh, At one level, Jesus makes a very simple and wonderful promise about prayer in these verses. Have a look at verse 7 to 8. He says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Uh, There appears to be a kind of sense of progression here in prayer in this teaching. Uh, If you imagine a a young child, often an illustration Jesus uses for uh, prayer, a child speaking to their parent, a child sitting, playing with a toy, and uh, simply lifts his head or her head and, and asks for something. And they're given by a loving parent. Or perhaps they're not given immediately, uh, so perhaps they have to stand up and seek. They need to go and look for their parent. Uh, and if, when they find their parent, they look, they'll find their parent. Uh, this is not a, a, a negative reflection on the parent to have to ask, seek, and then knock. Uh, the point here is that the child is learning to interactively engage in relationship with their parents, to understand they're involved in this relationship. So they ask, they may receive. If they don't, they seek and they find. Perhaps they don't find, though. And this situation is serious. You know, they really need another breadstick. So they knock on the parent's door. Knock, 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 knock. And it's opened. It is a wonderful picture of certain promise and answer for a child who asks, seeks, and knocks. 
we are heard, says Jesus. The door will always be opened. You'll always find if you seek. You'll always receive when you ask. But he goes further. God is not just a mere human parent. He gives the illustration in verses 9 to 11 and says this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Uh, Humans are evil, says Jesus. Uh, I hope that's not a surprise to you. We don't like saying it, do we? In fact, we often just want to say, no, we're all all right, just a little bit sinful at times. Jesus just says parents are evil. Humanity is evil. We rebel against God. We live for ourselves. I mean, we could go on for a while, couldn't we, on this point? We're evil by nature, and yet... By God's common grace to all mankind, even most human parents know that it's not the best idea to give your child a stone, even if it looks a bit like bread. Even evil humans are afforded enough love from God to give out to their children. But oh, how much better is our Heavenly Father, who is not evil He will not give us answers to our prayers that are bad for us. There will be no stones or snakes in his answers to prayer. He will give, Jesus says, good gifts. But I wonder what we we make of that. Every time I ask, I get. I think in our context, and context is important here, uh, we're so used to our rights what we deserve, what we're owed by people, let alone God. I mean, he gave me life. He jolly well better help me through it. Uh, In that context, we read, ask, seek, and knock, you'll receive whatever you ask, as a kind of justification for our rights and our demands, don't we? Well, if I ask, I'll get. It should be that way. But with that sort of attitude, it's no wonder we're often disillusioned by prayer. Because we lack the answers we think we deserve. Well, I asked for a promotion. I didn't get it. I'm not getting what I want. So perhaps we think, why bother? What's God's problem? But put yourself in a first century Jewish position in which Jesus is teaching And life now doesn't revolve around my rights or my expectations or what I'm owed. Life now revolves around a sacrificial system. A great holy of holies in the temple, which no one must go near for fear of the Lord. Where we sacrifice regularly and often because we know we are unworthy. We know we're evil before God. We know, Psalm 8, verse 4, what is mankind, that you are mindful of them, human beings, that you care for them. We're we're not worthy before God. Jesus just said we're, we're evil. Now, surely I can't approach God. In that context, ask, seek, knock has a very different meaning to how we understand it today. Ask doesn't mean I I get whatever I want. Ask means, whoa, what? You mean 
I can actually talk to God and he'll give me something good. Seek, you mean I, I can feel at a loss and yet I, I'm still permitted to go to the Holy of Holies? Or when life is so hard, I have permission to bang on his door and cry out, save me, O God? Perhaps in our prayers, we first need to get our position right before God. I mean, we rarely kneel to pray, do we? I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anyone lie prostrate on the ground. But that is the attitude our hearts need to have when we pray. You mean I can ask and seek and knock and I'll receive? That is an incredible privilege. Then we enjoy the privileges of receiving the answers to our prayers, despite our evil and lowly nature. And it changes what we pray for, doesn't it? When we ask, seek and knock... Uh, We're not actually now expecting God to give us what we deserve or what we demand or what we ask for or what we think we need. No, now we're trusting him, the holy of holies, to give us what is good, whatever we think. We're trusting him to show his glory and be gracious to his children who come to him. Prayer is an awesome privilege and God will hear and answer us. Therefore, we're not praying for our will, but his will. Why would we want it any other way? We're seeking salvation and forgiveness and righteousness, not just a comfortable life. I mean, after all, Jesus has already told us in this same sermon, chapter, five, uh, chapter 6, that uh, God knows what our daily needs are. So simply pray, give me today my daily bread. But the real things of life, says Jesus, where you can, uh, whatever, they're the storing up of treasure in heaven. They're the learning to be obedient and and godly before him. It's the knowing the joy and the peace of Jesus in our lives. Well, those things are the things we need to ask, seek, and knock, and we'll get them every time. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. God will hear us when we pray with the right attitude before him. So pray. Uh, Martin Luther uh, puts it like this. I think it's on the screen. He, that's Jesus, Jesus knows that we are timid and shy, or at least we should be. His context was perhaps closer to the uh, early church. He knows that we are timid and shy that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. We think that God is so great and we are so tiny that we dare not pray, sorry, do not dare to pray. That is why Christ wants to lure us away from such timid thoughts, to remove our doubts and to have us go ahead confidently and boldly. It's ironic, isn't it? When we lower ourselves, prayer becomes such a great joy and privilege. When we elevate ourselves, it becomes ineffective and useless to us all. So finally, and very briefly, uh, the golden rule, verse 12. Uh, So verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. 
Uh, this is, if you like, is the one rule that actually governs all of uh, Jesus' teaching in his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so next time you read through the Sermon on the Mount, or any of the Gospels for that matter, have this rule in mind and ask, how does this impact my attitude towards others? Uh, it's fairly clear in its meaning, but let me end with a quote from uh, John Stott, who puts it like this, verse 12. Uh, so verse 12 is the rule, the golden rule. It transforms our actions. If we put ourselves sensitively into the place of the other person and wish for him that we would wish, what we would wish for ourselves, we would be never mean, always generous, never harsh, always understanding, never cruel, always kind. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus has not treated us the repentant sinner, as we deserve to be treated. It is our call to pass on his loving grace to others. And that's the way to do that is to put ourselves in other shoes, says Jesus. Uh, let me pray, uh, and then we've got a little bit of time just to think through uh, a couple of those things. So I'll put some questions up on the screen. And we'll just have a couple of minutes of quiet just to think through uh, anything we've thought about from that passage or perhaps that I've said or if the questions are helpful, you can refer to them. Let me pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, what a privilege to be able to call you Father and come to you in prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, but transform us into people who seek your righteousness your glory, treasure in heaven, obedience to your right and good ways, love and care and respect for one another before ourselves. Change our hearts. We ask, we seek, and we knock that we may live lives more like Jesus. Change us, we pray, each day. And give us the vision of the kingdom of heaven that we're told to hold before us so that we live for that day. May our lives be shaped and encouraged by that thought of eternity with you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have a couple of minutes of quiet. <laughs>